what's behind me. And uh, do you see that slide? I'm like 51 years old, and, and that look, with that background, the words look like, you know how you go to the doctor's office and they see if you're colorblind, and you have to like pick out the numbers. It's like, if, I'm struggling today, so I'm sorry, but you, it's terrible, isn't it? Can you read I, that? I have decent vision, yeah, so. All right, well, I'm just going to go sit down. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's great to be a part of the body of Christ, and uh, so glad to be here this morning. We're going to do something a little different, uh, and I say that all the time, so you'll just get used to it. But what I want to start with this morning is something that some of you, mostly this section over here, will be very fluent in, but I know for a fact from seeing something this morning that many of you know how to use these. So we're going to have an emoji quiz. Yay! Because I know you use them. I know you do. So uh, the first one that I want us to, I, I, I'm asking for your response. Tell me what these are and kind of what they mean. So uh, just shout it out when you see this. So let's go with the first one. Eye roll. Why, why would you send the eye roll? I do get, so me and Paul are in the same boat here. We get this one all the time. And I don't know why, but Lindsay loves sending me this one for some reason. So we <laughs> I don't know, but this is the rolling eyes face. All of these faces, by the way, have, like, actual names to them, uh, which is, I, I found interesting. Uh, the second one that we're going to look at, what is this? Huh? I think I heard it over here somewhere. Do, do you know what it is? Jazz hands? No. Trumpter, Yes. This is a hugging face. Yeah. So you're going to get the, I just got this from Patrick. How nice. Thank you. Thank you. I do have a question, though. When is it socially acceptable to send this one? Uh, I, if you send this to somebody who's grieving, uh, that might be inappropriate, but, but, you know, there are probably those times where it is. How about this one? Do you know what this one is called? Kissy face is what I keep hearing. It's, it's actually called throwing a kiss face, which, you know, without arms and all. Uh, I typically get this one if Lindsay asks me to do something that I don't want to do and I agree to do it. So if, if I'm coming home from work and it's about four in the afternoon and, and I just want to go home and, and drink a soda, uh, she's typically will send me a question like, hey, would you mind going by the store and just stopping? Oh, and by the way, it's the store that's over in Minneapolis. Um, <laughs> but when I agree to do this, I, I get this, uh, this uh, emoji sometimes. The next one, do you know what this emoji is? Yikes, I heard that. This is the emoji they messed up on. This is actually grinning face. Yeah. Most people think this is grimacing face, uh, but somebody missed the mark on that one, and, and I blame whoever's in charge of the Unicode stuff. The power of emojis is that they convey emotions. They express emotions through text. Now, there are those times where we send text messages that are easy to misunderstand, like the next one. How are you? Fine. So, there are at least three different things, and there are plenty of more, uh, but there are at least three things that this could mean. The first one 
is a simple response when asked how I am today. Uh, the simple answer to fine could mean, oh, nothing's wrong, everything's normal, that's fine. So that's, you, you might be able to send this emoji and express that a little bit better than the word fine. You might send the next emoji and mean fine. And it might be something like, they got my coffee wrong at Starbucks, but it's, it's going to be okay. But I'm not happy right now. Or fine could mean, you should stop asking questions right now. <laughs> fine has a way of, of just expressing all of these different emotions in one small, small word. You know, emotions are a part of being human. Uh, they just are. We all have emotions. We all share emotions. Some of us may suppress our emotions, and, and I understand that is a thing that I do from time to time. But whether we suppress them or not, we have them. And they can greatly vary from moment to moment, from person to person, from place to place. So think about this in the context of listening to a song. You know, there can be a song that moves you to tears that puts me to sleep. And the emotions associated with that are quite different. There can be a song that uh, makes Patrick angry and makes me feel overcome with joy. Uh, and, and that happens from time to time. Patrick listens to a lot more music than I do. So, uh, so it's usually actually the other way around where his music's loud enough where I'm overcome with anger. <laughs> and he's overcome with joy, if I'm being fair. Uh, there are songs that, that can move you to tears. Uh, There are songs that make you happy and make your mother sad. Uh, And and songs associated with funerals tend to do that from time to time. The emotions that they evoke are are interesting. And that's just a song. It's just music and words. Anything can bring out your emotions because we all have emotions. And emotions are very powerful. And so for the next few weeks, we want to explore what it is to have emotions. Emotions. So let me start this series with a claim. You are not emotional because you are human. You have emotions because you bear the image of God. You have emotions because you bear the image of God. And so the first emotion that we want to look at, and all of these emotions that we're going to look at, we're going to look at emotions that Jesus felt, emotions that Jesus expressed. And so the first one is amazed. Recently, I've had an experience of amazement, and it was wonderful. Most of you are asking, or last week, uh, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity, and a lot of you have heard this, and you're going to continue hearing about this because it was great. I had the opportunity to go to Pepperdine, which has these Bible lectures every year, and I've been in school for a long time, so I've read a ton of books by this guy. His name is N.T. Wright. And most of you are probably asking, who cares? And I, I get it. Nobody, a lot of people don't know who this guy is. But I had the opportunity to ask him a question to his face. Like, walk up to him, shake his hand, ask him a question. And it was incredible. I had the chance to take this picture with him. And it would, it would have shocked you how many people were taking a picture with this guy that most of their wives had no idea existed. It was honestly pretty amusing. Most of you wonder, who in the world is this guy? He's only the world's foremost New Testament scholar. 
right? Now you're all impressed. Uh, it was. I wrote one of my senior thesis uh, in college over this guy in one of his books. Um, I've heard many of his sermons. I've, I've dived deeply into his lectures, uh, and, and he's influenced my life in, in great ways. A side note that, that most of you won't care about, but it was fun. Uh, Kyle and Jen Stevens, you, if you've been here for a while, you might remember Kyle and Jen Stevens. They, they used to be members here, and they moved to Tennessee. They were at this conference as well, and they actually had the opportunity, because Lipscomb's better connected than Lubbock Christian University is for some reason, uh, but Lipscomb, when they had their dinner that they have for all the Christian schools, Lipscomb, uh, N.T. Wright showed up to it, and he sat at a table right next to Kyle, and later on that evening, he was playing guitar with Kyle and talking to Kyle, and it was this incredible moment that he had. Um, but I know that most of you don't understand this, so, so I'm going to contextualize it just a little bit. Um, if you were a guitar aficionado, somebody that cared deeply about guitars and music, it would be like you sitting on an airplane next to Les Paul. You know who that is, some of you? Maybe, maybe you're not a guitar person, maybe you're into technology, so if you're a techie, if you care about technology, maybe it'd be like having the chance to pick Elon Musk's brain for a little while and figure out what he thinks about some things. It would be like a hockey fan from the state of hockey, and I might be looking at like two different families in this church, but still, it would be like a hockey fan having the opportunity to, to sit and talk to Mike Ruzioni for just a little bit and, and learn about the 1980 Olympics. That's what it would be like to be amazed, and that's what I was feeling when I had the opportunity to meet this guy. So I want for you for a moment to turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at two places this morning where Jesus was amazed. Uh, and, and there are lots of stories about how people, ama- or people are amazed by Jesus, but there are only two where Jesus actually feels this emotion. And the first one's in Matthew chapter 8. So we're going to start in verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, in terrible distress. And Jesus said to him, I will come and cure him. Now that's a a little bit striking. Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount. He's coming down from the mountain and he's healed a leper. And and so when we start there, we have a couple questions. First, what is a centurion? And a centurion is somebody who has 100 people that are beneath him. 100 soldiers at his command. But this guy's not, he's not worried about any of his soldiers, worried about a servant, uh, which is interesting. And lying at home is this servant who's paralyzed, and Jesus' response is that he will come and cure him. Now, just a little bit of background about Jesus. Jesus is a Jew. Jews don't mix with Gentiles. Centurion equals Gentile. So just keep that in mind. Verse 8. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Well, that's that's true. But only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, (coughs) excuse me, do this, and the slave does it. Centurion's statement is saying more than what is on the surface. 
because this is a Gentile, a Gentile centurion, he's actually giving deference to who Jesus is. You are a rabbi. You are a good teacher. And so we want you to come here. But, but I understand that there are things that, that won't allow that. But the second thing is actually a little more shocking. How does he believe that Jesus will heal his servant? It is simply by speaking the word. Just say the word from where you're at. You're not even at his place. You haven't even seen this guy, but you say the word and this man will be healed. You know, there's another story in Genesis 1 where, where God just says a word and creation comes into being, and the world is made, and humans are made, and, and the plants, and the sea, all of this is made. The centurion is saying that if Jesus simply says the words, his servant will be healed. And, and I think the centurion might be picking up on who Jesus is. And so we continue. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed. Jesus was amazed. And he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, in no one in <coughs> excuse me, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. Isn't that remarkable? In no one in Israel have I found such faith. The faith of this man to say only you can speak the words and and my servant will be healed. This is genuine faith that amazes Jesus. So Jesus continues, I tell you many will come from east and west, and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. Isn't it incredible that Jesus is amazed by the centurion's genuine faith. He is amazed by the faith of someone else. You are talking about God in the flesh being amazed at someone. That in itself is interesting. But I think it's not uncommon. Because when we see genuine faith, I think we're amazed as well. There are three stories that came to mind as I was thinking about this this week. The first one is Shane Claiborne who tells a story of Mother Teresa. And if you've read the book Irresistible Revolution, it's a good book, uh, but he tells the story of how he was given the opportunity to be an intern for Mother Teresa for, for a summer, which is an incredible internship to be able to get. Uh, but when he would go to Mass, they would have their prayer service, and, and he would sit there and he would look at Mother Teresa's feet, which is a strange thing to do. Thank you, DJ. Patrick told you to. Thank you. It's like you're sending me a huggy face. I I appreciate it. (laughs) Anyway, so when when he was at, when Shay Claiborne was at these prayer services, he would look down and see Mother Teresa's feet. And the thing he noticed about her feet is that they were deformed. And so he'd look and stare at them for a while, and, and eventually one of the sisters that was part of this group came up to him and asked, do you want to know what happened to her feet? Of course, yes, I keep staring at them. I want to know what happened. And so she tells him the story that every year that these people would send in just enough shoes for the people that are a part of this uh, sisterhood that was taking care of the poor of Calcutta. And when they would do that, she would go through the shoes first. 
find the worst pair and take those every single year. And she would always have two left-footed shoes or two right-footed shoes, never quite right. And because of that, over the years, her feet had become deformed because she was serving so well. When we see genuine faith, we are amazed just as he was. Maybe you remember the Columbine shooting, which was just a tragic, dark moment in the history of America, in the history of, of schools in America. This moment is just, it's awful. But in that, there was a story of this girl named Cassie Bernal, who was asked the question, do you believe in God in the midst of this terrible shooting? And her, her answer was yes. And because she did that, she lost her life. But the response to this, the response to what she had done, brought, brought Michael W. Smith, one of the great songwriters of the past 30 years for Christian music, brought him to write a song in honor of her commitment, asking, would we have the faith to do that? When we see genuine faith, we are amazed as well. Third story that I thought of was Dr. Kent Brantley, like two years ago who was over in Africa serving when, it, when the Ebola uh, problem came about. And, and instead of getting up and running away, what he does is he, he just stays. And he catches the virus. But it's in his blood, which is so ironic and so Christian in some ways. It was in his blood that cures and, and ways of helping people was found. He didn't die, but he stayed. Genuine faith amazes us. And those three are stories of that. But before we get too excited about thinking about how we can amaze Jesus, and and we need to get there at some point, but we need to look at the other times when Jesus was amazed as well. So if you've got a Bible, turn over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. How exciting. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. It's important that we recognize just right off the bat that their initial response to hearing the teaching of Jesus is that they are astounded. Jesus has healed the woman who was hemorrhaging for 12 years right before this, and he healed the daughter of Jairus. And so he comes to his hometown of Nazareth, and while he's there, the people are astounded because he's teaching in the synagogue. And they said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? And then they asked this question. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. You see, in this story, what seems to happen is that the people are, oh, that's some interesting teaching, but wait a minute, I know this guy. He was the guy that used to sit in front of me at school, and he'd always get all the answers right. Or, oh, wait a minute, didn't I used to date his sister? They know who this guy is, and they, they, they don't trust that. They take offense at him. So Jesus responds, Jesus said to them, prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, which of course is where he is, and among their own kin, and in their own house. 
You see, this isn't simply something that that the people of the town, you know, these people that they marginally care about, are are doing to him. This is actually his, his family, people he grew up with. He is without honor. And so Jesus could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. Uh, see, that, that statement itself just kind of amuses me. He couldn't do anything, but he did cure a few people and, and did a little bit. He cured sick people. But verse 6 is where we get to the heart of this. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed at their unbelief. These people that knew him, these people that he had grown up with, these people that he was flesh and blood family with, Jesus is amazed at their unbelief. Churches, I've been thinking about these two passages and these two groups. I've been wondering which two of these, which group we are more like. Jesus is amazed by the first group's incredible faith, but he's amazed by this second group's lack of faith. And so I want us to ask a serious question, just for a moment. Which story are we more like? And I think it's really easy to cast ourselves in the first story saying, we would have faith like this centurion, that's who we are, that's what we're about. I think we need to be careful. I think we need to ask ourselves a question, like what would it look like for us to trust God so fully today? to be like this centurion? And I think we have some answers. I think it would look like Mother Teresa and her deformed feet. I think it would look like Cassie Bernal and her commitment to follow Jesus even in the face of death. I think it would look like Kent Brantley who doesn't run away from the problem that he faces. He stands there in the name of Jesus and brings healing and restoration and love to people. But are we more like the people of his hometown who questioned what they were seeing and what God was doing among them because it wasn't what they expected? What would it look for us to amaze Jesus with our unbelief? I think we'd ask questions like, or say things like, I don't think we can do that here. I think you'd hear us questioning our mission and asking, are we still doing this? Is this still important to us? I think you'd see us focusing more and more on ourselves and less and less on those to whom Jesus calls us to go out and make disciples of. Church, I don't know about you, but I'm willing to guess this. I think we want to amaze Jesus with our faith, not our lack of faith. I want for us to give this all that we've got, all that we can, Completely trust in him, be completely obedient to him, and to all that he has called for us to do and to be. I think we can have the kind of faith that Jesus looks to and is amazed by. Do you want to get on board with that vision? I think that'd be wonderful. Let's become that church. Let's become those people who, when the world sees us, they see Jesus, because that in and of itself will be amazing. I'm going to hand it over to Dave, who's going to close us out in prayer.